Hello, you're listening to Bricks and Mortar from EG with Sarah Jackman. My guest today is Nikki Richmond, ex-property finance lawyer and former managing partner of specialist real estate legal firm Breacher, who returns to the final instalment of our three-part series on career development. In episode one, we discussed networking, and in episode two, we looked at some of the other skills needed in early career development. In today's episode, we'll consider how to accelerate your career. Nikki, thank you very much for joining me for a third time. It's wonderful to have you back again today. Um, Last time we met, we talked about early career development, and today we're just going to move that on a little bit, and we're going to be talking about how to advance your career. Um, you achieved a huge amount in your legal career as, as a property finance lawyer. Had you always imagined yourself in a senior leadership position, or, or is that something that came later in terms of your own career progression? Well, hi, Sarah, and thanks for this opportunity. I'm really glad to be back. Um, had I always imagined myself in that sort of role? Not in a million years, <laughs> I think it is fair to say. I never imagined myself in a senior role. I never imagined myself as a lawyer. What I thought I was going to do is work for 10 years and open a restaurant. Uh, so the short answer to that question is no. I did not have a vision for myself as a senior lawyer, management, material. It just didn't occur to me that that was what was going to happen. I didn't come from a legal background. I had no role model in my family. I was the first person in my family to go to university. Certainly, my family didn't give me any sort of encouragement in terms of thinking that I could be senior. And actually, the first person that said it to me was the managing partner of what was then Nicholson, Graham and Jones after the merger with Breacher. And I was really quite young at that point. I'd, I was a junior partner. I'd been made a partner at five years at PQE, which wasn't so unusual then. I mean, it is now, but it was still you know, quite early on. And I remember just after the merger, I went to talk to him because I really wasn't happy with the pay that had been negotiated for me on the merger. And I thought, well, I'm just going to explain why I'm not happy and I'm going to go to the person that I think can change it. And he'd been watching my progress for a while. And and I sat in his office and he said, well, you know, I see you as somebody who's going to be head of department in a few years. And I just thought, don't be ridiculous. That was my first thought, don't be ridiculous. So I didn't see in myself what other people saw in me. But actually, that was a really helpful thing to have heard because it made me think that it was possible. And I started to consider that possibility in my own head. And, and it was a sort of turning point for me. So, I mean, the learning from it is never underestimate how powerful your words are to juniors, actually, and the encouragement that you give them. Because a throwaway line, which he hadn't prepared, it was just something that came out, really changed the way I saw myself in that firm and the possibilities that I saw for myself. 
I mean, it took me a long time to believe it, but I started to believe it. So, no, I didn't see myself in that role. But actually, I started to work at doing that. I looked at what other people were doing. I saw other people in that role. I looked at their skill set and I thought, hmm, I could probably do that, actually. So I just started to focus in a different way. So, no, I didn't see myself in that role. And I think that was because of my background and because I didn't have anyone uh, telling me before then. And sadly, it did take somebody on the outside to tell me. I didn't find it from within myself, whatever for whatever reason. So, no, is the short answer. <laughs> um, once you started to believe in yourself and you came to realise that could be a possibility, what were the key things that helped you to progress and work your way up? I think the key things that helped me to progress were some were positive and some were not so positive. One of the things that helped me to progress was fear. Uh, I was frightened of losing my job. I had come into the profession at a time of turmoil and recession. And so for me, working really hard and making myself invaluable was something that I wanted to do. So I took on lots of work. I performed to the best of my ability. I worked harder than perhaps I should have done in retrospect, but it felt necessary at the time. The other way that I progressed was by modelling myself on people whose work styles I admired and I thought were effective. And I, as I've said before, I had lots of different models in my original law firm of behaviours. I had the people who were messy with files on the floor, who were sort of creative and scattergun. And there were also the other minimalist people who you thought they'd left the firm when they'd left their office of an evening because there was nothing on their desk. And I was actually happy somewhere in between. So I looked at different people's behaviours. I looked at who was successful and how they were successful. I looked at my own skill sets and worked out what I could and couldn't do and where my own strengths lay. And I, there were certain things I instinctively knew I was never going to be good at. Public speaking is one of them. I've managed to get through a career without doing very much of it at all. And so many people think that it's a skill that they have to have in order to succeed. Well, I'm living proof that you don't. So there are many ways that you can succeed without standing in front of a room of people telling them about the law or property or whatever it is. So modelling, shadowing people who were helpful, asking for help and guidance, asking for feedback, however painful that was, because when I came in, there wasn't really a culture of appraisals and feedback. Or if it was, it was once a year. And it became so stressful that once a year was like everything in your whole year was going to be brought up at that meeting, good or bad. And it felt really lo looming and ominous. So I was in the habit of asking for feedback on the go. So when I did a transaction, I would say to the clients, what do you think went well with that? What what could I have done better? What were you happy with? And the clients that got to know me found that actually a useful process because 
it meant that any frustrations that they had could be ironed out and that I could improve where I needed to or I could be uh, given the confidence that the approach that I'd taken was the right one. It, I think we all need that ex that feedback, whether it's external or internal. So that was another thing that helped me progress, just getting proper feedback from somebody who was honest but supportive. I would not ask for feedback from somebody who just gives it to you with both barrels because your confidence will be destroyed. And that's also happened. So there are people to avoid with feedback. The other thing that I did to progress was just get to understand how the organisation really worked. And to do that, I spoke to people who did all the sort of nuts and bolts of the organisation, the people that were in accounts, the people who did the photocopying and worked the telex machine. I mean, yeah, we are prehistoric here. Those people who really just explained how it really worked. They were at the coalface. And I think you ignore those people at your peril. And actually, they're your friends, especially when you're coming up. You really don't want to alienate the people at reception or whoever, you know, the people in accounts because you're going to need them. And actually, your life is much nicer when you have a good relationship with those people and you don't see them as, in inverted commas, staff. Uh, I don't like that delineation. Everybody has a role. And Often the best ideas come from the people who are doing the jobs that need to change or shift. And I was always a great believer in trying to ask people what they thought at every level in the firm, what they thought could be improved, how their particular job could be improved. So progression was about understanding the business as a whole. And I think that's vital rather than just looking up. I think, you know, it's very interesting. I, I love the model of, you know, every every organisation has tops, middles and bottoms and tops, you know, are strategic. They don't really know what's going on in quite a lot of the firm and they don't understand why everybody just doesn't buy into their vision. The middles are the people who are nearer the top. They get a bit of taste of the vision, but they're managing the bottoms. And so they're sort of pressed in the middle between the demands they're getting from the bottoms and the demands they're getting from the top. And they're squeezed. And the bottoms have no feel they have no idea what's going on in an organisation at all. So when you're at the when you're a bottom, it's quite interesting to try and actually have an overview of what the organisation is really about, rather than just looking at your own little silo, is trying to make connections with people across the middle and also the top level so that you understand what business you're in rather than just seeing what's in front of you. It's just trying to have that little bit more of a helicopter approach. And, and I always did that. So it's very easy to get lost in the world of your firm and the culture of your organisation and think that that's, you know, the only thing that there is. Uh, actually, to step back and have more of an overview is quite helpful and, and helps you work out how you might progress in an organisation. So and the other thing, um, and you are allowed to ask and butt in, Sarah, at any time. <laughs> No, no, carry on. I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> it's the importance of having a support network, actually. Uh, and that means having a peer network who you can go and shout to or cry to 
or scream to in a safe way, who are your cheerleaders, who understand you, who you can say, look, can I just sense check this thing with you? I'm getting really upset about this situation. Am I being unreasonable? How can I deal with it? It's just really important. And those people might be in your firm or they might be in other organisations that are similar, or it might just be a friend who you can actually just say, can I offload? So I think it's really important for your progression that you have a safety valve and that you don't bring those things to the wrong place. It's, uh, you know, it's, you, you don't speak to the wrong person about the wrong thing in an organisation. You've talked a little bit about the things that you found useful in terms of your own career journey and progression. Tell me a little bit, just looking at it from the other perspective as a leader, what were the key things that you looked for in others when you were promoting them into leadership positions? I looked for quite a lot of different things and that's a very wide question because when you're in an organisation, what you don't want to do is keep recruiting in your own image because then it's an echo chamber. And I do see many organisations that only have one type of person in them. They might all look different, but they're all quite similar. And I think that's a mistake. So I didn't just look for stuff. When I recruited, I always wanted a second opinion. I didn't want it to just be my decision. I think there needs to be a broad and diverse recruitment and promotion process so that you get a broad and diverse group of people in your organisation, because if you have a broad and diverse group, you have a better organisation. So there is there is sense in doing it. But in terms of because, you know, each team has different sorts of people in it. So you're not just looking for one thing. Some people are client facing. Some people are technical. Some people are very interested in mentoring or training. There are different contributions that people can make in a business. So I think what I was looking for with people depended on the role that they wanted to play or I wanted them to play. But there are some key things for me that I looked at beyond which I would not go and which formed the bedrock of my decision making. One of them was honesty. If somebody wasn't honest, and I know, who would think some lawyers not being honest? Shocking. But Honesty was, for me, a keystone. So if I felt that the person wasn't honest, and by, by which I mean open to admitting when you're wrong, open about needing help, open about needing to learn and and also challenges that come up. And lawyers aren't great at that. Let me say they just feel they have to know all the answers and that they can't show any weakness. So you don't necessarily get the sort of dishonesty that is you know, fraudulent and whatever that, that comes, but it's just honesty with themselves and openness and an openness to learn. I looked for humility and not hubris. I wanted people to accept that they didn't know everything and to be, again, willing to be supported and learn. Uh, I wanted to make sure that whatever area of law they were in, they had the right mindset for that area of law. There's no point in putting a Rottweiler litigator in a sort of mediation job. It's never going to work. So I always wanted to make sure that the person who was coming up was in the right area for themselves. Often people fell into areas or chose bits without choosing or they got 
pigeonholed into something. And I think it just it's a good time to sort of check with them. Are you in the right place? Is this suiting your personality? Is this sustainable for you? And I think the worst thing I, I did was and, and, and I, I'm really guilty. Of this is if I liked somebody, you know, I think and I thought I had a sort of connection with them. I would often be drawn and want to employ them. And I had to stop myself because I recognised my unconscious bias a certain personality types that I clicked with. And I thought, again, I don't want to recruit in my own image. So I would sense check or get somebody else to actually make a decision if I felt I was too close to it or I felt my decision making was clouded by personal preference. Because we all have people that types of personalities that we get on with, that we can see ourselves working with. But I didn't want a firm of clones. I wanted, you know, because clients aren't clones, you actually need all sorts of personality types for all sorts of clients. So, but the honesty and, yeah, honesty, integrity, you mean just, you know, just the big ones. That That's what I'm looking for. And you mentioned earlier how pivotal it was when somebody came and spoke to you and said, actually, I can see you progressing through to a leadership role. And I guess just exploring that a little bit more, I mean, to what extent or in what way is it important for leaders to recognise people and to play an active part in supporting them through their career journey? And I guess, how can you best do that as a leader? Well, if the firm, I mean, these days, firms are much more structured and have systems in place to deal with career progression. So if you're fortunate, you will be in a firm that already has a career plan or some sort of appraisal system or measurement system that actually guides you through your career. Uh, When I was a lawyer and I was doing training, it was actually in law, it was quite easy in some ways to work out where you were because there were certain competencies that happened at certain levels. And I actually created a table that said, okay, because people didn't know what was expected of them at different levels. So I looked at say the job of an associate and said, okay, what skills do I expect an associate to have? What am I expecting from them in terms of marketing? What level of complexity of work should they be doing? What's the next step? How do they get from here to the next stage, what's different between an associate and a senior associate? What's different between a senior associate and a director? What's different between a director and a junior partner? And actually, I did the job of working that out so that when people came to came to me and said, well, what do I have to do to be a director? I could look at the chart and say, let's have a look at where you are on this now. Where do you think you sit? on this chart. So I think making it explicit in your organisation is a great help. I think people like to know where they're going and what's expected. And the worst thing you can do is say, oh, you'll know, you'll know when you're ready, or oh, we'll know, or we'll tell you, or just carry on as you are because you're doing fine. That's just unhelpful bullshit. It just doesn't help anybody. And people really need a roadmap. And so if your organisation is one which is capable of delineating what's expected in different types of jobs, that would be my guidance. It really helped me 
have those conversations with people in my firm because I had something concrete and measurable to look at, which formed the basis of a conversation about where things needed to develop or, you know, sometimes they were already two stages ahead in certain areas, but behind in other areas. So it allowed it was it was just a framework for an honest conversation. And if your firm doesn't have that, then ask them what they think the competencies are for the next stage of career progression. Ask them what you have to do and make them tell you because they may not have even thought about it. In many cases, they won't have done. And it's a really useful exercise for them to do. So that's that's my top tip. Yeah. One of the things I'd like to explore with you is we've talked a little bit about leadership and, and progressing through that journey. But I guess not everyone wants their career to end in the C-suite. I guess it would be useful just to get your thoughts on when it's OK just to say, I'm happy where I am. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want to progress to leadership. I enjoy the role. I would like to develop within it. But essentially, I have found what I love and I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. When is it OK to say that? And, and do you think in firms perhaps there are some misconceptions around that? I think there are definitely misconceptions around it. I think that certainly for a very long time in the law, and I'm sure it still happens in many firms, there is a feeling that you have to progress and that there is no alternative but to be seen to be wanting to progress. And certainly at the junior level, the, the plan that is shown you is, is a sort of, you know, runway of here we go, you go up this ladder and you end up in Nirvana. But actually, very, very few people, especially in big firms, end up at C-suite level. And so actually, it's usually drop off. So I think there's a misconception at junior level about often about that journey. I also think there's a misconception at seniors who believe that juniors buy the bullshit. And actually, the juniors, if they've got any savvy, will look at what's going on and see how many people get to C-suite and realise they're being sold a myth or something that isn't quite right. This sort of idea that at some point, if you do all the right things, you will be here. If they actually look at the figures and the attrition rates in their organisation, and I suggest that they do, they will see how many people really get to C-suite and actually the type of organisation that they're in. Because, again, there isn't one size fits all. So when you come back to your question and you say, when is it safe to say, actually, I'm happy where I am? I think that depends in the type of firm that you're in. If you're in a firm that peddles the myth of perpetual motion and we must get and the only way is up, it's probably never safe to say that. You might do it, but you might not say it. You might just sit there and do and be quite happy doing that, but it's not necessarily sensible to articulate it. I think what you need to do is look round at your organisation and see how many people are already in that role. There are many, many firms 
where people are what I call old timers that have just got to a level, are very happy at that level, are very productive at level and have no desire to go any higher. And if that's already happening in your firm, you might infer from that that it's safe for you to have that conversation because it's an accepted way of being. And at Breacher, we created the director level to actually accommodate that so that we, there was a recognition that not everybody wanted to be a partner, but they might be very senior, but might not do all the things or want to do all the things that a partner did. Because the, part, the partner level, one of the things was having an external profile, doing some networking and marketing. But there were lots of people who really just didn't want to do that, but were excellent, excellent lawyers in many ways. But they just didn't tick that part, partner box. And that's fine. There's a place for them. Those people are actually your gold. Those are the people who know the organisation, who often have a brilliant role in helping juniors, who aren't up and out because, quite frankly, that's that means just turnover of staff. Your old timers, your long term people, they're great. I love those people in my business. I really wanted to encourage those people. But there does sometimes seem to be a tension in firms between that thing where they're attracting juniors in with this vision of, oh, my God, you can earn millions at the top. And this other thing that says, actually, you can have quite a lovely career sitting in the middle here for 10 years and it's perfectly all right this is the level you've got to do this is what you need to bill or earn or bring in and as long as you do that we'll leave you alone that's fine so yeah i think knowing when it's safe to say that depends on your firm but if you if you need to do if you want to do that yeah you i don't know you might test it with your line manager you might test it with one of the people that are doing that and talk to them about how they what their experience was of having that conversation. Did they ever have that conversation? How did they feel about being where they are? I mean, you have to be pretty certain that they're happy to be where they are and they have actually made that choice and it hasn't been made for them. But I I, I think it's so important to have that conversation with yourself and not, you know, drink the Kool-Aid and say, oh, yeah, I have to do it. I have to keep going up. I have to do I have to do this. And you know, law firms are particularly bad at that, about this sort of career progression that you feel like you've failed if you've got to five or six years qualified and you haven't become a senior associate. And, you know, it's it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Yeah. Another scenario that might arise is, I guess, one where you have been working for a number of years. You're not um getting as much as you were out of the role you feel it's not right for you anymore but you enjoy working within the organization you enjoy its values you enjoy the type of work that is available how do you approach that with your manager and perhaps pivot into a slightly different area of the organization again i think you have to look at whether you are in an organization that would be open to that conversation where people have moved within the organisation. So whether, whether there is an openness around it. I think if you're going to have that conversation, you need to do your homework about what is available to you, what, what type of job you think you want to do, and is there a need for it? Because if somebody else is doing it, 
you may be great at it, but actually there's no role for you or there's no possibility of developing. I think you also need to think about what tools and skills you need to pivot into that other role so that if somebody says to you, OK, fine, we'd be happy to do that, but you don't know how to do this. So what are you going to do or what do you need in order to get from here to here? You've already given it that thought. You've already done your job spec. You've already done your homework about what something else might look like. I think it's, do you know, I think it's difficult to move across in organisations, just from my experience, because you might love the organisation, but if you've been doing something for many years, it's very difficult, and, and in one area of a business, it's very difficult for people to suddenly see you in another area. It just, one does get pigeonholed. I think it's a very difficult move. In some ways, it's easier to move to another firm and start again than it is to try and recreate who you are, what you are, what you do in an existing organisation. I think it depends where you are in your career as well. I think, you know, you can certainly towards the end of your career, there's much more opportunity for that where you can go from high fee earning to a sort of um, consultancy type of role or an of counsel sort of role if you're a lawyer, where it's recognised that you're not doing the whole job anymore or you want to focus on something else. And also, I've seen quite a lot of pivoting to um, doing support, like uh, instead of being a, a, a transactional lawyer, being a support lawyer. That's quite an easy move. And I don't know how that would translate in property businesses and, and, and what, you know, to move from, say, you know, sales into research. Quite difficult. I think it just depends on the type of business that you're in and their openness. I and mean, they won't want to lose stuff. It's, it's people don't like to lose stuff because it costs a huge amount to recruit and you have a lot of knowledge. But it's I wouldn't say it, it's not easy. It's not easy to do it. OK, and I guess just evolving on from that point, um, I suppose there are instances where people may come to the conclusion that they're in the wrong career. How do you come to that realisation in the first place? I, I mean, I'm assuming you have to be incredibly honest with yourself if you're really not enjoying something anymore. But I guess if you've invested a lot of time in something, you need to be absolutely certain before making that decision. And then I guess on a, a practical level, you know, how do you extract yourself from something that you potentially trained for many years for, built up a big network in that area and so on, and then I guess move into something different? And, and how do you identify what that something different is? OK, so that's six questions. <laughs> do my best. <laughs> OK, how do you know? that you're not happy you know you know when you're really not happy it's when you dread going in it's when the phone rings and you think oh my god I don't want to speak to that person it's when you don't like your colleagues it's when you don't respect your boss it's when people are speaking to you badly it's when you have literally no joy in what you're doing that's quite extra it was when you make yourself ill you know that's extreme. There's quite a lot of it's not that bad, better the devil, you know, stuff in the middle. And that's the difficult one where it's not great, 
but your expectation isn't high. You just think, well, it's a job. Yeah, I'm paid to do it. It's not terrible. I know that other people are having a worse time than me. And that's, I think, the trickier one to work out whether it's acceptable, this sort of lower level of unhappiness or disaffection, or whether it's big enough to give you the kick to move. You know, for me, it always had to be extreme. For me, it was when the pain of staying was worse than the pain of leaving. That's when I left, which is why I only left twice in my career. Uh, in in 36 years, I had I had two moves, so um, you know it had to be quite painful. I'm not suggesting that that's a strategy at all. So I think what you're saying is true. You have to be really, really honest. And actually, one of the things that people often do is confuse the job and the people in the job. So I think you have to do an exercise for yourself. We do this in coaching quite a lot where you look at the things in the job that you like, the things in the job that you don't like, uh, your skills, and you work out what it is that, that is actually problematic. And often it's the people. Often you still like the job There's, and the job that you went in to do, you still like. But the organisation may be problematic. Well, that's easy. You leave the organization easy but it's an easier decision you leave the organization and go somewhere where actually culturally or emotionally or whatever you fit in better um if it's the job then you have to notwithstanding you see i think there's a lot of you know that that expression sunk cost bias there's that thing where you carry on with something because you've put so much effort into it and you and you feel like you can't give that up and that you shouldn't and you know it would be terrible if you didn't use all that experience whatever you've learned will be useful to you in whatever you do next in a way that you don't even anticipate now so sunk cost bias needs to go in the bin you actually are where you are now it's relevant to the extent that you need to look at your skill set in an objective way. And actually, it's useful to go to a career counsellor or somebody who is used to going through that process, because there are some really good tools that can help you get your mind straight and work out what's really going on for you. Because your own head is an echo chamber. Your colleagues aren't really interested. Your family are bored with the conversation. You need to go to somebody who is listening to you and asking the right questions. So I would say if you're not sure about whether it's you, whether it's the job, whether it's the people, go and get some career counselling just to clarify what's going on in your head and to just separate out the strands so that your decision making is based on thought and analysis rather than emotion. So because we all, you know, we all run on emotion and we can get very caught up in that. And I think to be able to look at it objectively and put everything down on paper and really look at it is really valuable. You can't do it yourself. Your head is like an echo chamber. Saying it to somebody else is completely different and working through with somebody else who isn't involved with you or your organisation. I think that's really valuable. It certainly helped me when I had decisions to make and made me look at things from different perspectives or things that I thought were massive issues actually weren't so big or I was thinking of them as massive issues and 
but the possibility of those massive issues happening was like two percent but because if they did happen i thought they'd be massive i was attaching way too much importance to them so it's just sense checking so i think what you do is you approach it in a professional way you go and get professional help in working out what's going on for you and then you look at the and, and that help will also help you look at the organization and the system that you're in see what's possible in terms of can it change can you change what needs to change for you to be happy if it can't what are the possibilities where do your skills sit where could they be adapted what are the opportunities so that's what i that's what i would do okay just then to finish us off we we started at the beginning talking about accelerating a career let's return to that and perhaps you could just share your top tips for anyone who's looking and listening today and looking to accelerate their career or it could be one top tip it doesn't need to be three or a particular number (laughs) my top tip is to understand what you really want what you want your life to look like in 15 years time and to visualize it and to work out how you're going to get from where you are now to then and that might be career acceleration and it might be career stasis where you are so i mean just bringing it back to a top tip self-analysis self looking at yourself and being honest with yourself and what you then need to do will become apparent because there isn't one top tip that suits everybody no i think i think that brings it all together really nicely i think across all of the strands that we've looked at today honesty is something that sits at the core of it all Nikki, thank you so much, not just for today, but for joining me for this entire series. Um, As always, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you and thank you for coming and sharing your insights. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's great. Thank you so much. Pleasure. That was Bricks and Mortar from EG with Sarah Jackman. For more on developing a career in real estate, see the archive of the Bricks and Mortar series at popbean.com and the EGI Radius Archive at egi.co.uk.